So why don't we stand and honour and welcome Chris Well, thank you so much, everyone. Last time, last time you welcomed me, you didn't know what you were in for. This time you did, and, and you still clap, so I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, so um, it's exciting to be back. I've been away for the last three Sundays, so it feels like years, but... It hasn't been too long, but it's, it's awesome to be back with my Forever House family. We've just been sitting to chat and catch up with some of you before, the, uh, before this morning started. Now, I want to uh, bring a message this morning um, using the scripture 1 Samuel 17, verse 17 to 18, and it says, Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. So today I want to uh, use this scripture and the story it comes from to share some thoughts about 2020 and how we can make our lives fruitful, not just in the things of God, but in every area of our life. Amen. And so you might be like me and you're only like, less than two weeks into the year and already maybe you're not living up to your expectations of who you thought you might be in 2020 and what you thought you might be. And so, is it just me? Because I've already put my foot in my mouth. No, just me. Okay, cool. Um, But, uh, you know, I want to encourage you not to give up on yourself because God hasn't given up on you. Amen. That's good. So we're to look at how you can own the moment. That's the title. If you're someone who takes notes and needing the title, Own the Moment is our title this morning. So I'm going to pray. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to share your word this morning. I thank you that you would use your words through my mouth. Father, I pray for hearts in this building, every single heart in this building, to be prepared to receive what you have for them through what I've prepared, but not just through what I've prepared, Lord, but through what I didn't know to prepare that you have in store for them. So, Father, I just thank you. I ask you to bless this time this morning together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I went to an AFL game uh, last year. Um, some of you might know I'm a Kiwi and I don't know anything about AFL. So went along with some friends. I think this was in about August. And uh, and here we were sitting. There's 28,000 people in the crowd. And I thought, well, this weird. There must be something to this. And so here we were. We were... We were sitting and, and the game started and things were happening on the field and the crowd was cheering and I couldn't see the connection because I didn't know the sport. I don't know what's going on. Why did they cheer for that? What happened? And then something else had happened and everyone's like, oh, they're disappointed. And I was like, why? I don't know. And so, so I was sitting next to someone, thankfully he knew um, a bit about the sport and so I got an education as we went and I started to understand, oh, that's good, that's bad. But it occurred to me that if you don't understand... Uh, the the target, the, the main goal of something, every little part that happens, you don't know the value of it. You don't know the value of it. You don't know how do I attach value to it. And what the 28,000 people, uh, what the 27,999 people knew, not me, <laughs> was that um, the Lions, it was the Brisbane Lions, they... They had had sort of seven or eight wins in a row, and another win or two would have gotten the minor premiership. Um, unfortunately, they didn't quite get there, but they had this really good season. They had a really good streak, and so there was momentum built, and people were excited, and they knew the value of every tackle and every kick. 
because they knew there was a target now that was within reach. And so it's the same with us sometimes, that we don't really know the target, and so we don't put value on the everyday little thing. And so when we know what we're going for, or when we know the value of the little thing, you know, we do it differently, don't we? The team, the players on the team, they knew the value, so they're doing that extra 1% more when they dive for that tackle, or they kick the ball. They're putting that extra bit of effort in because if they do that, there's something to be gained. But how did they get there? How did they get there? They got there by training. And training is doing things that don't earn trophies to get an opportunity to do something that does. So I'm going to repeat that. Training is doing something that doesn't earn any trophies so that you will have the opportunity to one day do something that does. And so we go back to the scripture. Here's David. And he's being sent off to deliver lunch to his brothers. Uh, and if we've read the couple of chapters before this one, we know we've already been introduced today. We know um, he was out in the field doing his job, which was tending sheep, when he was called in to be anointed as king. And then we also have read that he was recommended as a good musician and a warrior to play music for the current king, who was having some uh, spiritual issues. And so he was splitting his time between playing music in the palace and tending his father's sheep. And so one of those circumstances is pretty glamorous. It's in a throne room. It's in the presence of royalty. And the other one is in the field in the presence of sheep. It's not very glamorous. And so it was while he was tending sheep. It was while he was tending sheep that he was called. And that an everyday request... Then our scripture was asked of him by his father. So let's go back to the scripture we've got up there. Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses for the, for the commander of the unit. See how your brothers are doing and bring back some assurance to me. That's the NIV version. The new Chris version is take lunch to your brothers and see if they're okay. Take lunch to your brothers. Make sure they're okay. And so this was a messenger boy job. This was a messenger boy job. Presumably there were other staff in David's family. He could have sent any of them. Why send the guy who's anointed as king? But David went, and um, and he went presumably with a good attitude because when he got there, we know what happened next. Everybody knows what happened next. If you go out and ask people who don't even go to church what happened next, they know. David and we know. And so we're having it two and a half thousand years later, we're still talking about it. So he goes there and he gets himself in a position to do something totally outrageous that we're still talking about on behalf of God and on behalf of his country. Amen. So remember, at this point, he seems to have already had access to the palace through his playing the harp. But he was still humble enough to take the sandwich delivery job, and that put him in the right place, to hear what was going on, and he had the confidence in God in himself to step up on behalf of the people. Are you seeing what happened here? He, he was doing something that seemed like nothing, that didn't seem connected at all to his destiny, and then he took on a job that also didn't seem connected to his destiny, that seemed like you could send anybody to do it, but he went. 
anyway for pay. So as 2020 starts, you might know your calling or you might not. You might know what you're supposed to be doing or you might not. You might be at the point where there's a trophy on the line and you are fighting for it, or you might be at the point where you don't even really know why you bother setting your alarm. Or you could be anywhere in between those two things. And today I'm here to bring a message that says no matter where you are at, the steps forward are the same. Yeah, come on. The steps forward Amen. are the same, and it's to own your moment. It's good. So what do I mean by owning your moments? I'm not meaning. I'm not meaning. Grab every moment and squeeze the worth out of it. <laughs> We're taught that a lot by life. You must maximize every moment, but it's not practical. It's usually not valuable and it's certainly not sustainable. And people burn out. You get tired. You wonder, some days you go through seasons of that. Maybe some of you have, I have. Seasons of like, I'm just digging in and going hard all the time. And you look like a night commercial. Sometimes you just burn yourself out. You think, what have I got to show for it? <laughs> So I'm not, this is not a seize the day message, this is not a cafe diem message. This is a what's in your hand message. What's in your hand? What can you do in your house, with your resource, with your relationships, in your circumstance? What can you do that will catch the eye of a God who's looking for someone to use? Yeah, it's good, bro. Amen. And what can you do that will do that while nobody else is well, nobody else is looking, and like it, it doesn't seem connected to what you're called to. Because most of us have an idea, I think I'm called to this, and yet we're also buried in things that don't seem connected to that. Can anyone relate? I can relate to this. Yeah, absolutely. So at high school, at high school I, um, I couldn't see the relationship between just school in general and what I wanted to do with my life, so I swiped off, like quite badly. And so, I had, this, I had this one teacher, and his name was Mr. Keenan. He was also the principal, so he didn't have a classroom of his own. So we would meet him at different classrooms each day, and we usually beat him there as a class, and then he'd show up on the percent. And he and I used to butt heads, because I, I got a bit lost. I didn't see the purpose of algebra or whatever, and, and uh, I was slacking off. And so, Sundays at the door of the classroom, we'd be there and he'd be letting everyone in and he would stop me at the door and say, not today, you're never going to get a chance to ruin my class today. And I said, oh, I'm in a good mood. He was like, get out. So I think we outside his office and everyone else would learn whatever, I don't know if I was listening, so we'll learn something. But because I didn't see the connection between what I'm doing now and what I want to do, I dismissed it. And I actually finished high school two years earlier. I left high school two years earlier, which I definitely should not have. Should not have done. It was a big mistake. But it was because I didn't see the connection. And I didn't focus on what now seemed unrelated to what I wanted, with a good enough attitude to at least see it through. And so the moments I'm talking today about owning are not the public moments. They're the private ones. They're digging in at school when you don't see the purpose. They're long hours under a difficult boss. They're winning the battle against your usual temptation, even when it makes no difference to others. Because when I say God's watching, I don't mean he's watching like Mr. Keenan was watching for me to make a mistake and not even let me in the class. He's not watching like that. 
He's watching because he knows what can come of this if you just focus. And if you just apply yourself. And if you have a good attitude, God knows your potential. He's not looking for you to slip up. He's looking for you to step in. Yeah, come on. Amen. <coughs> have you ever thought, it makes no difference what I do. I've done a season of doing everything right and nothing changed. I've done a season of just slacking off and nothing changed. So why would I bother? Have you ever thought that? I have. Yeah. I'm being honest today. Yeah. Even if I'm the only one. Yeah. <laughs> I Amen, and so, you don't, you know, we think, whatever I do, it's inconsequential. But, but that's not true. Whatever you're doing, God is looking for someone to send because he needs to know your character. And how you can tell someone's character is by what they do when they think no one's looking. Yeah, that's yes, absolutely. It's what they do when they think no one's looking. So what do you do when you think? Um, David, he's, a, he's an awesome character in the Bible. I love David. He's one of my favorites. I can relate to him. He's a unique character because we get to see both the outer and the inner story. We get to see um, what he did through uh, through Samuel, the books of Samuel and the Chronicles. And we get to see how he felt through some of the Psalms that he wrote. And it's awesome because that's not always the case with public characters. We just hear about them or sometimes we hear from them. But to, to get both sides of the coin is great because we can see his attitude and some really, really difficult stuff that we've already read about in, uh, in the other parts of the Bible. So today we're going to look at what David had in his hands. I've got three things we're going to look at. Three things he had in his hand that he practiced with while nobody was looking and that God used while everybody was looking. So let's look at these three things. Uh, everybody turn to the person next to you and say, David's staff. David's staff. Okay, David's staff. Okay, so a staff is not a whole bunch of people who work for you. That's some staff. A staff is like a big stick with a hook on the end, and you use it to control sheep. Cool. You come here, you go there, I'll protect you from this. It's like an extension of your arm, actually, is how it's described, a staff. So it gives you a longer reach, and that was the um, very valuable tool of a shepherd in the ancient Near East. And so, 1 Samuel 16, verse 11 tells us, so he asked Jesse, this is Samuel, he's going to anoint a king, and he asked Jesse, he looks at his seven sons, and that's none of them, have you got another one? So he, said, he asked Jesse, are these all your sons? And Jesse said, they're still the youngest, he is tending the sheep. So what was David doing? Tending, tending the, the sheep. sheep. Um, now, so Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And said, so the staff is probably David's most boring thing that he has in his hand. It doesn't seem that exciting, but it's the one he actually needed most as he went through his life and became king, because it represents his leadership. It represents the way he led his father's sheep and the way he led the nation of Israel later on in his life. So it's an important piece of equipment for a shepherd. Now, David is the youngest of eight sons, and seemingly the least important, because his family didn't even invite him in when they heard, oh, Samuel, Samuel wants to anoint a king, but it'll be one of these guys, it definitely won't be David, we won't take him from the sheep. They didn't even consider it. 
But he was out in the field doing what was right. And God saw him faithfully leading, watching sheep day and night, protecting them, providing for them. And he was faithful with his staff, and he developed his leadership skills out in the field, out in obscurity. But he probably didn't feel like he was developing leadership skills while he was doing it. He probably felt like he was on the backside of the desert being left out of the king cheesing parties. <laughs> but he was doing the job before him with a heart turned to God. Now we know he had his heart turned to God because when Samuel, when God talked to Samuel about choosing the king, he said in 1 Samuel 16:7, people look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So remember where David was when God said that. He was out with the sheep. Whether he had a good heart or bad heart, he could have thought to himself, it makes no difference. I'm here with the sheep by the way. But he still went to the trouble of having the right heart of the sheep. So what about your stuff? We've talked about David's, what about yours? God knows you're in the field. You haven't dropped off the radar. God created you and he has a plan for you. Perhaps you feel wasted in your job. Perhaps the idea of another year like last year just makes you sick. I mean, like Sarah said in worship time, a lot of people had a really difficult year last year. And they're probably looking for something better this year. But God hasn't forgotten you. Amen. He knows where you are and he's watching your heart. So be the best whatever you are. Are you a nurse? Be a good. Are you a builder? Build well. Are you a customer service person? Serve the customers well. Do you make coffee? Do you teach? Do it well. Do you sweep the floor? Do that well. Some of you might know I sweep the floor. <laughs> My job is a floor sweeper. And so, I mean, it's, it's the typical example of a nothing job. Street sweeper. And when I was praying about taking on the work a couple of years ago when I started it, I said, God, how am I going to make this significant? This is just not my dream. (laughs) (laughs) Not what I was thinking about when I was slacking up at high school. Um, But there's probably a connection there. And um, so uh, God showed me the scripture in Daniel where the the people say Daniel was ten times better. Now, did that mean Daniel worked ten times harder? No, it's probably impossible to work 10 times harder than most people. But what it means is having a good attitude while we do the work. It means that when I sweep floors um, for other companies, that's what I do, I have to make sure that when I leave, they think they can't do it better. Otherwise, I'm out of a job. And so I do the most mundane job in the world, in the world like it's very important. I have to do it. Otherwise, I'd have gone insane by it. And I'd be cutting corners, because nobody watches over my shoulder, I'm my own boss. I'd be cutting corners, and I wouldn't be doing it right. But who does that see? Yeah. It's, it would let me down, it would let my customers down. But most of all, it wouldn't be being true to what I believe. Amen. Yeah, own the moment. Own the moment, even when nobody's looking. So what is in your heart, in the season when you're disappointed or bored, by what's in your hand. What is in your heart when you're disappointed by what's in your hand? What is in your heart when you're bored by what's in your hand? God had been looking at David while he was holding just a shepherd's staff. 
and he's watching your heart in the desert season too. Okay, that's that's stuff. That's number one. The second one, second one of three. Everyone say David's harp. Ah. Ah. Okay, so 1 Samuel 16, 18-19 It says One of the servants answered I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem Who knows how to play the lyre or harp He is a brave man and a warrior He speaks well and is a fine looking man Oh, I can relate to this picture (laughs) 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 And the Lord is with him so sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. Who is with the sheep. So we don't actually know the order. I said before that he was tripping backwards and forwards before he met Goliath. But we don't actually know what order all this happened in. If the order went anointing Goliath and then this, that still helps us. Because it shows that um, David... Even though he was having success, he was still humble enough to be a servant. Amen. So the harp, as we know, is a, is a musical instrument. It's probably not the big like harp like this that you're thinking of. They had a um, an instrument called a kinnor, and it's quite little. It's like a little wooden thing, so about ten strings. And so that's what he played. And um, I don't know how common it was to be like a good harpist in the. Uh, Sheep fields of the ancient Near East, but um, maybe maybe it was common. Maybe they had covers bands. Yeah, maybe maybe David and the shepherds could come and play at your wedding. That'd be right, eh? I didn't like them. They sound like they'd be good. Bruno Bars. David and the Bros, yeah, yeah. David and the Rock songs. Yeah, we know he was good with rock. So the heart represents David's heart of worship. Amen. David had an amazing heart of worship. David worshipped God with such commitment at one point that he embarrassed his wife. How good is that? We should worship in a way that embarrasses us, that embarrasses the people around us. Be that committed to our worship of God that we're prepared to look ridiculous to the people around us. But God described David as a man after his own heart. So you might look ridiculous to those around you. But what's God watching? What does God see when he sees your worship? And if we want to know the depths of David's worship of God, we have a record of it. David wrote at least 73 of the 150 Psalms, and most of it is designed to go with music. He was a songwriter. And, and what a powerful songwriter. We, we still sing a lot of his lyrics today. So what about your harp? The good news is we don't have to know how to play the harp or sing, praise the Lord. We don't have to know how to, to be good at those things because we have Spotify and iTunes and Hillsong, amen? <laughs> but owning the moment means worshipping God when you don't feel like it. Worshipping God and having a heart that sings His praises in the background of everything you do. Because if it's in the background of everything that you do, it will soon become the foundation. It will soon become the foundation, your heart of worship to God. And it might mean putting music on in the car and singing and taking those moments to praise God. But it's not just about the music. It's about an attitude of praise, of thanksgiving, of worship towards God in every little moment. Everything you do. 
Now putting time aside to allow your lips to praise God for just being God is really, really vital. Yes, amen. And it will have a huge impact. Daily worship like that will build a culture and an atmosphere in your life that that will lift you up out of whatever's going on around you, out of wherever you feel stuck. This will lift you up. But it must come from the Spirit. John 4.24 says, uh, Jesus tells us, God is Spirit, and His worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. He said God is looking for these people. God is looking for hearts that are worshipping Him in Spirit and in truth. So that's David's heart. David's heart and your heart. Your heart of worship. David's sling. Everybody say, David's sling. David's sling. David's sling. 1 Samuel 17, 40 says, Then he took his staff in his hand, still got his staff with him, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. So we're at this moment that we already know, we already love. He's getting ready, he's going to fling some stones at Goliath. His sling is definitely his most famous weapon, his most famous thing that we see in his hand. If we ever see a picture of David, he's most likely got a sling in his hand. But we find again that it's something he's been practicing. He's been practicing in the, in the background. David doesn't use Saul's armor. You know, in the process of leading up to fighting Goliath, he gets offered Saul's armor. But he doesn't use it. Why? Because he says, I'm not used to it. So when you're called to that moment where you need to fight, don't try and fight how someone else would fight. Yeah, it's good. It's called to draw on what we've been learning while God's had us in the desert. And so when somebody says, here, do it my way, no, what have you been learning? What has God been showing you? How has God been training you to fight? That's how you are in the moment. So he doesn't use Saul's armor. And others will judge you and be jealous, like David's brothers, they were jealous, or they will support you, but if you do it their way, like Saul. But don't be sucked into those things. Do it your way. Do it the way you've been trained. Don't worry about the people who say this or that about you. Step forward. Step forward and own the moment. You know, when your time comes, you'll be drawing on experience that they don't know you've got because you've been fighting battles in private from the season that God used to train you. So what about your sling? That's David's sling. What about your sling? Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. That's the NIV. The message says, Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. And that's our greatest weapon, our tongue. Pastor Brad mentioned it just at the end of worship there. Our tongue, what do we declare? This is going to be a decade of declaration. I like that. That's good. So what are you declaring? What are you declaring? Our sling is our tongue, and it's our best weapon in every fight, big and small. The enemy has a usual defiance, we read, and he releases it through his tongue. He speaks it. And it can paralyze us with fear if we don't keep clear in our mind that actually it's God who's going to win our victories. 
Amen. We are standing on the side that is already victorious. Amen. If you're with Jesus, you've won. Yeah. Yeah. But what are you declaring? What are you speaking to the enemy who's coming against that victory? Who's defying the armies of the living God? Notice that it wasn't Goliath's fighting that was paralyzing him in fear. He hadn't fought anyone. He just stood there and spoke to them. For six weeks he spoke to them, 40 days. And they were paralyzed with fear, not because of what he did, but what he said. We have our own word, though. And we can use our mouth to declare it. Amen. But so many of us don't store it in our hearts or release it from our mouths. We don't bring the word to everyday tasks. Do we? we bring it to certain things. Is it a problem in my life or whatever? But are you declaring it over your work every morning? What are you declaring it over? Are you bringing the word to everyday tasks and owning those little moments? David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He just declares it straight back at him. You, you've been saying this, but whatever. You've come against God, and that will not stand. And we need to get that attitude about us. So I want everyone to stand up now. Okay. I want everyone to stand up now because so many of us, we haven't been doing this. And um, I'm going to stand up here because I'm going to demonstrate something. So what I want us to do is, I'm going to get us to close our eyes in a minute so none of us feel stupid doing this, myself included. But get your pointer finger like this. I want you to close your eyes and imagine the thing that's stopping you from stepping into what you know God has. Imagine it. Picture it staring you in the face right now. I want you to point at it and repeat after me. Enemy, hear me. Enemy, Enemy hear me. me. In the name and the authority of Jesus. In the, in the name and the authority of Jesus. You will no longer keep me from what he has. You will no longer keep me from what he has. Your head is coming off. Your head, head is coming off. And I am having the victory. And I am having, having the victory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, now, where is my friend Ashley? Ashley, can I invite you up here for a moment, please? Yeah. Ashley, now, um, in June, God showed you something, and I've been bursting to tell you, but God said, no, it's going to be on a certain date. And so I felt like today was the day, and so he said this. Um, are you, are you feeling comfortable here? No, really? You're okay? Okay. Um, but it was like, as you step out, so I invited you up here, and I actually have something for you. It is... Here. And God said, as you stepped up here out of your comfort zone, and I gave you that, God says, I'm going to call you out of your comfort zone, and I'm going to provide for you as you step out. And it's going to be... It's going to be a time of, of you breaking out because you're like really sweet and gentle in how you approach things but 
But God says, I'm awakening a lion next to you. And you look at other people and you think, you think they're powerful, but God says, you are powerful. And I'm going to call you to begin to take down things and go to places that other people in your family, other people in your world haven't gone. And you're going to begin to step out and cover new ground and take new ground for God. And because he says, he says, you're not, you're not me. You're, you're, you're not withdrawn. You're going to begin to step out and be that powerful person. And he's going to provide for you in the, in the natural. And he's going to provide for you spiritually as well. He's going to equip you to go and take these battles. You're going to have your staff and your sling with you. And it's going to be a time where you're going to, I, I, I didn't even know I had this in me. And I said, all along you've had it in me. Amen. All along you've had it in me. So step out, be bold, be courageous, listen to God, and take each step. And um, yeah, I'm just excited to see it. And we all are. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for Australia. Thank you that she is a powerful woman of God and that she is going to make a damage to the enemy's kingdom. She is going to expand your kingdom. She is going to extend the borders of where you have the world. She's going to meet people that nobody else can meet. She's going to um, take down things that no one else can take down. And she's going to be powerful in the army of God. She's going to be a powerful warrior. And we bless her today in the mighty name of God. Amen. So, I've had that in my mind since June, and it's going to it's going to create some space for something else because it's been occupying. And, and, um, but I it, I felt like God said do it publicly because I could have said that to Ash any number of times in the time since June. But I believe it wasn't just a word for her; it was a word for everyone. Was that God is going to call us to step out, and He is going to provide for us when we do. And so, yeah, be blessed. Okay. So the word says in Psalm 119, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know there's a hiding place in your heart? There's a hiding place in your heart. The unfortunate thing is most of us use it to hide the deepest, darkest things. The mistakes, the hurts, the sorrows, the pain. We hide them deep. We don't tell people. Maybe sometimes we don't even tell our partners, our families. We hide it. There's a hiding place in our heart. But God says we can hide our word there. His word there. Psalm 119, they think David wrote this, but it's not actually addressed. It's not actually claimed by David, so can't be sure. It sounds quite David-y, though. <laughs> and so David says, the word is hidden in our hearts, so we might not sin against God. And that's a weapon. That's a weapon to help us own the moment. To own the little moments. You know, David was famous for taking down Goliath and being a great king and a worshiper and a poet. But he was equally famous for being an adulterer. And he arranged the murder of someone. And he deliberately disobeyed God and he took a census of his nation when he was told not to. And he was a pretty atrocious father. He didn't deal with family issues when they arose. And so there's a lot we can learn from David, not just in his ups, but in his downs. And the main thing we can learn from David in his down is that when he was convicted on his downs, he went straight to God. He had such an open heart. And he said after, when he was convicted about his adultery, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. Well, the reality is he sinned against people as well. But his heart was concerned for the Lord. What have I done to God in my relationship with God? 
you know, your giant is far more likely to look like Bathsheba than Goliath. The giants you encounter are far more likely to look like Bethsheba. But we're prepared for the Goliath one. I'm going to be ready. But are you ready for the everyday stuff? Yeah. Are you ready for the subtle, the private, the poor? Yeah. Issues that the enemy brings and keep you occupied on a daily basis? The lust, the temptation, the gossip, the trying to force promotion, the hiding mistakes with even bigger mistakes? How do you treat people? How do you treat your wife, your husband, your children? How are you owning those how are you only in those moments? So this year, let's store the word in our in heart. Let's hide it in our heart. So it's really, not for the big moments, but for the little ones. Not for the things we see coming, but for the things we're used to. You know, we can do that because we have in our hand, Jesus' victory. Amen. We don't need to go and fight our own victory. We can't do it anyway. We have to rely on Jesus' victory, and his victory is ultimate. Already happened. In our hand, our greatest weapon is Jesus' victory. So use your staff for working relationships and your heart, get a heart of worship and a sling to bring the enemy to an end in those big moments. But daily, let's hold the word of God in our hand and be ready for the little battles, the little niggles, those moments. And we get to own those moments. And if we do it, we will move forward. 2020 will look very different to 2019. You know, you're never going to be perfect because only, only Jesus was. So take the pressure off. <laughs> the Bible says His mercies are new every morning, which means whether you've stumbled into 2020 pretty poorly or you're having a ripper year, every morning, we all have a new start line. Yes. We're all at the start line right yeah, that's now. It. Yeah, that's it. I agree. Because of what Jesus has done. And winning that victory can rely on. So I'm just going to pray to finish. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your victory that we can use as a weapon. For your word that we can store in our heart and use as a weapon. Lord, I just thank you that we would have our eyes open from now on for those little niggles, for those little subtle ways that the enemy is distracting us and causing us to stumble. Father, I ask that we would be prepared, that we would have our eyes up and our hands ready, that whether we feel disconnected from what you've called for us or whether we can see the road to it, Father, that our heart would be the same, that it would be in 100% pursuit of all you have for us. That it would be a, a vertical relationship. Lord, that we wouldn't be disappointed by what's in our hand, but we would be excited by what's in our heart. So, Father, I declare a fresh vision over the yes, every Lord. single person here. And as we step forward, Lord, I just declare that your word would penetrate, begin to penetrate every single heart in this room. Thank you, Father. Father God, that we would see 2020 differently. Yes. We would see our daily duties differently. Yes. Even the boring stuff, the stuff that we see, this cannot be connected to what, I, what I'm called to do. This can't be it, surely. And God says, it's it for now. 
What are you going to do about it? So, Father, I just thank you that you're with us in the daily grind, that you're with us whether we're excited about where we are or whether we're disappointed. And I ask that you would lead us forward step by step, day by day, into 2020. Yes, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you. Amen. Amen.